It's a pleasure to preach God's word before you here this morning. I would like to uh, direct your attention this morning to Colossians chapter 1. We'll look at three verses this morning. Colossians chapter 1, three verses picking up where Pastor David Bennett left off last week in verse 15. And then we'll go through verse 17. You may or may not know this, uh, but the Oreo cookie at one time was a knockoff brand, uh, a fake to the real brand, which at the time was the Hydrox cookie. I only found this out a few years ago from a friend and was shocked. Uh, Jacob Luce invented the Hydrox cookie. And before the 1950s, this was the most well-known chocolate cookie with cream filling in any store. But at the turn of the 1950s, the Oreo company, which was seen as a knockoff, a fake, they, they gained some popularity as they rebranded and they raised their price point. Today, the Hydrox cookie is little known, and the Oreo is one of the world's most popular cookies. Thank goodness, too, by the way. I'd much rather snack on an Oreo than a Hydrox. It doesn't sound too appealing. Uh, next time you dip your Oreo in a cold glass of milk, however, you can be reminded that you are eating a knockoff, a fake of the real thing. Today, as we turn to Colossians chapter 1 and we look at verses 15 through 17, we're, we're going to look at the real Jesus, not a knockoff Jesus, not a fake Jesus, but the real Jesus and what it means to know the real Jesus. Paul, while under house arrest in, uh, in his house, uh, received news about the church of Colossae. False teachers crept into the church and were teaching that Christ... Jesus was just one of many angelic emanations of God. And by doing so, these false teachers were therefore denying the deity of Christ Jesus, and not only the deity of Christ Jesus, but his humanity as well as angels are neither human nor divine. The church today, not necessarily our church here, Lake Murray, but the church at large has many mixed views on who the real Jesus is. Ligonier Ministries, a popular Christian forum, does a biennial survey when they ask a lot of, of questions. It's conducted by Lifeway Research, in which they survey uh, 573 self-identified evangelicals. These 573 were asked to agree or disagree on this statement, and I believe I have it up here on the screen. Agree or disagree. And you have to pay kind of close attention because it's worded a little tricky. But it says, Jesus is the first and greatest created being by God. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Of the 573, 65% agreed that Jesus was the first and greatest being created by God. That's almost three out of every five people agreeing with the heresies of Arianism and the teachings of the Mormon church today, Jehovah's Witnesses, Three out of five, not just people, but evangelicals, those who would attend our church, agreeing that Jesus was a created being by God. Three out of five having a knockoff view of Jesus. And today, as we turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, we will see who the real Jesus is, who the real Jesus is and what it means to know him. And as we walk through this passage, I want us to see three things, three truths from this text. First, to know the real Jesus is to know God the Father. Know the real Jesus, know God the Father. Second, know the real Jesus, know the creator of all. 
Know the real Jesus, know the creator of all. Third, know the real Jesus, know the sustainer of all. And now I would like to direct your attention to our passage this morning as we read along, starting in verse 15. Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Our first point this morning, know the real Jesus, know God the Father. Know the real Jesus, know God the Father. Paul begins in verse 15 stating, he is the image of the invisible God. And who is he here? Well, we, we go back to verses 13 and 14, and the he here, the pronoun there, refers back to what it says in verse 13, starting, The Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. The he here is the, the beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And he, Jesus, as Paul says, is the image of the invisible God. That while Paul is affirming that God is envies, invisible, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible. And God being invisible is consistent with the whole teaching of the Bible, as Paul wants to affirm. John 1.18 tells us no one has ever seen God, as Pastor David read a moment ago. Elsewhere, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.17, he writes, The Lord is spirit, and if the Lord is spirit, we cannot see him. God is invisible. But what Paul also wants to affirm here is that Jesus is the invisible made visible. He's the visible image of the invisible God. When Paul is writing that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, he has something in mind here. He's saying like Jesus is like, you know, we have like icons on our desktop that make up a, a full file of something else. Or we, we get this word from the Greek here, icon, uh, for our English word icon. Like a portrait of himself similar to the inscription of a president or a ruler on a coin at the time. Uh, for an example, the Pharisees in Matthew 22, uh, verse 20, they asked Jesus a question, is it lawful to pay taxes? And, and the Pharisees, he, he, they're testing him, and he says, someone bring me a coin. And, and they bring Jesus a coin, and he holds up this coin, and he says, whose image and inscription is on this coin? To which they reply, Caesar's. Caesars, this is the same word that we have here in our passage. I've never seen George Washington, big shocker, uh, but I know what he looks like. I know what he looks like from images that I've seen, mainly of on the dollar bill or the quarter. I know what he looks like because of this image that he has on the change in my pocket. John 1.18 tells us, no one has ever seen God, the only God, but the word became flesh has made him know. If you want to know God, look to the Gospels. If you want to know God, know Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. And surely, also while Paul is writing here, he has in mind Genesis 1.27, which I'll have on the screen, where, where Moses writes uh, about Adam, so God created man in his own image. There's that same language. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Adam here in Genesis is likewise described as being made in God's image, just like Christ here. 
and the rest of humanity all with them. Everybody that you encounter today, tomorrow, for the rest of your life is made in the image of God. And Adam was called to fill the earth and subdue it, therefore filling the earth with more image bearers, more images of God. But we know come Genesis 3 that sin enters into the world by them eating of the the fruit of the tree that they were commanded not to. And as sin enters into the world, we have a broken image of God and man, this kind of distorted image of God. You've likely been to the fair, and and you've maybe been in the house of mirrors. And in the house of mirrors, we have these these mirrors that are concave, and they have different shapes. And, And you stand in front of one mirror, and you have a taller image of yourself. And you stand in front of another mirror and you have a shorter. And you stand in front of another and you're, you're a little bit heavier. You stand in front of another, you're a little bit skinnier. And this is exactly what uh, man's image of God here is. It is this distorted self-perception of the image of God. Similarly, humanity might have some evidence of God and his glory in them. But what Paul is saying here in Colossians 1.15 is that Jesus is the perfect, unblemished, non-distorted, non-concaved image of God. To know the real Jesus is to know God the Father. He perfectly reflects him. He has made him known. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. To know the real Jesus is to know God the Father. He's the perfectly holy, unblemished image of God his Father. Uh, Many people today, they don't look to this image. They don't look to the image of Christ. They, they want to look to other broken images to compare themselves to. That, hey, if I'm just uh, better than this person in the pew next to me, if I'm just better than this person down the street from me that doesn't do the right things, if I'm just better than this broken image, then, then I'm good, right? Then I'm good. And we get so caught up in, at least I'm not as bad as them, or I don't do what they do, I'm good but we're looking at a distorted house of mirrors image when we should be looking to the perfect image of Jesus Christ. We should have our eyes fully focused on the image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ. To know the real Jesus is to know God the Father. Second though, Paul wants us to understand to know the real Jesus is to know the creator of all. To know the real Jesus is to know the creator of all. Paul continues in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, this language is a little tricky here. Firstborn of all creation. What is Paul saying here? Is he saying that Jesus had an origin? Is he saying that that Jesus is a part of the created order? And, And no, clearly not, because he goes on in verse 16, if you look. He goes on to say, for by him all things were created. The creator cannot also be a created being. He's not saying that he's the firstborn in the sense of that he was, he was, he was created like Adam was. This, this phrase firstborn here simply denotes Jesus' preeminent status over all of creation. He is the, so to say, inheritor of all things as the firstborn. Uh, up until modern history, especially in the West, most of the time, if you were the firstborn child, you would have all of the inheritance and the rest of the siblings would have none. Jesus here is the inheritor. He is the preeminent one. Coming back to verse 15, the first word in the ESV, or I'm sorry, 16, the first word in the ESV there says, for, for by him all things were created. 
Your translation might say uh, because, but these words here, this word here for or because is explanatory, showing the reason that Jesus is the preeminent one, showing the reason that Jesus is the inheritor of all things, the firstborn. Jesus is the inheritor as the firstborn, the preeminent one, because of what follows. Three prepositional phrases make it clear to us here uh, in, that why Jesus has this exalted status as the preeminent one. And I have them up here on the screen. The first is by, the second is through, and the third is for. By whom all things were created, through whom all things were created, and for whom all things were created. Uh, by and through kind of denote the same idea that Jesus is the agent of all creation. Paul first says that Jesus is the one by whom and through whom all things were created. We can think of the use of by whom and the, the through whom here as instrumental. Paul teaches us that the son is the agent, he's the instrument by, through, and whom through all things were made. And this falls in line with the rest of scripture. John 1, 3, all things were made through him and there was not anything made that was made without him. John, in the opening chapter of his gospel, speaks of Jesus as the word that was in the beginning. And this word that was with God in the beginning, if we were to go back and look at Genesis 1, it's by the word that everything comes into existence. And God said, and God spoke. It is the word of God who is the Son by whom and through whom all things are created. And Paul notes that it is by Jesus that all things are created. As God spoke by through Jesus, and through Jesus, there came light, and it was good. By and through Jesus, there came an expanse between the waters. By and through Jesus, there came the dry land. Jesus is the active agent of creation. He is the one by and through whom all things were created. Not only is everything created by and through him, not only is he, he this agent of creation, but also Paul notes that it is for whom all things were created. The truth of this is that everything in all of creation was made for the glory of Christ. Nothing in the whole of creation, as we look out at all of creation, exists for its own sake. Rather, all things exist for Christ Jesus. The passage, as you can tell, continues to crescendo. It gains intensity and it comes to its peak here in verse 17 where Paul writes, And he is before all things... And in him, all things hold together. Which brings us to our final point, which will lead us kind of into, what does this mean for our everyday lives? What is, how do we apply this to our lives? And our final point that Paul wants us to know is to know the real Jesus is to know the sustainer of all. To know the real Jesus is to know the sustainer of all. Paul first begins by reinforcing the idea that Jesus' deity to the Colossians, surely a created being cannot be before all things. That wouldn't make sense to deduce. Firstborn in the sense clearly does not mean born in the sense of created. But Jesus is before all things. He was never created. Rather, he is the creator. Before time began, he was there with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Because he is before all things is another explanation of why he is preeminent. And not only that, and in him, all things hold together, as Paul goes on to say. In him, all things hold together. The important truth of this is that this is the power of Christ before the incarnation. This is the power of Christ in the incarnation when he walked on the earth. 
And this is the power of Christ forevermore in glory as he sits at the right hand of the Father. That if we affirm that Christ Jesus was fully divine, and we also affirm that Christ Jesus was fully human, we understand that it was not that he placed his divinity to the side for a moment while he was on the earth. What this means conceptually is that as we think about the Christmas story, as we think about Jesus laying in the manger, and as we think about him having to be fed every few hours, and as we think about him having to be changed by Mary and Joseph, we can think of that same baby in the manger, fully man, but we can also think about how that baby held all things together in his tiny body. He held all things together while he was laying in that manger. As the the early church father Cyril writes concerning this, when seen as a babe and wrapped in swaddling cloths, even when still in the bosom of the virgin who born him, he, the only begotten word of God, filled all of creation as God. And as Jesus, we can think about Jesus throughout his life. As Jesus was in the desert, as he was being tempted by Satan in the desert for 40 days, and as Satan uh, is, as he's moving around with Satan, and Satan's taking him from one place to another, as he's moving about, he's also at the same time filling the whole universe and holding it all together by his working and his providence. And not only at the Christmas time and not only in the middle of his life, but also at the Easter story coming up here that we'll focus on. The man Jesus who hung on the cross with the nails in his hands and in his feet and the spear being stabbed into the side. The same Jesus who hung there on that cross is the same Jesus who holds all things together right there. And as he rose from the dead and ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father, it is the same Son of God who will forevermore hold all things together. John Calvin writes a pretty lengthy quote on this concerning this passage. It's pretty lengthy, but I think it's very clear uh, and it's very good. So if you would, hold on with me. Uh, They thrust upon us as something absurd that the fact that if the word of God became flesh, then he was confined within the narrow prison of an earthly body. But even if the word in his immeasurable essence united with the nature of man into one person, we do not imagine that he was confined therein. Here is something marvelous. The Son of God descended from heaven in such a way that without leaving heaven, he will to be born in the virgin's womb. To go about the earth and to hang upon the cross, yet he continuously filled the world even as he had done from the beginning." Something marvelous there. This is some, some lofty theology. And, and maybe you, you just had your first cup of coffee and you're just waking up. And, but this is the real Jesus. This is the real Jesus who Paul wants us to know. This is the real Jesus who is, uh, to know him is to know the Father. To know him is to know the creator of all things. To know him is to know the sustainer of all things. And you might be thinking, Matt, why, why do I need to know these things? This is just good theology on paper. But this affects how we live out our everyday lives as well. Many people say conceptually that surely God, he created the world. And after that, he, he's kind of just hands off. He just let it go to itself. Just hands off. Whatever happens, happens. But that's not the teaching of scripture. That's not the truth that we find here, that Christ is the creator and he lets everything go. No, but Christ is the creator and the sustainer. Everything that happens, happens by his will. He is the one who holds all things together. The God of the Bible is an active God in creation, which he created. He is not hands off. And to summarize kind of our last two points, to know Jesus is to know the creator of all things. To know Jesus is to know the sustainer of all things. 
And surely we believe that, that Paul means all things here. But notice specifically what he notes in verse 16. If you would look back with me. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And do you know what this implies? The implications of this are vast, that he created all these things and he holds all these things together. That as Mary and Joseph are fleeing from Herod and his, his people as they seek the firstborn son, as they seek Jesus' life, Jesus is the creator of the very ground that they walked on to get away. And as he, he is in the, the virgin's womb, he is the one who is sustaining the life of the people chasing him. And as Satan tempted him in the desert, Jesus is the very one who created the very rocks that Satan tempts him to make a meal out of. And Jesus is the sustainer of the kingdoms that Satan tempts Jesus to take. And as Jesus hung there on the cross, it was the, the tree that Jesus created that made the wood that they crucified him on. And it was the nails that were in his hands that he created. And he sustains the very ones who took his life. Not only that, but the spear was also made out of the very things that he made. Not only that, he, he also created and sustains the Roman government that put him to death. Herod and, and all these, these tetrarchs, he was crucified by the authority that held him together. And theoretically, if it were for a moment that Christ were to take his hand off a of creation if he were to take his hand off of the things that he made and he held together, then everything, as Genesis said, would turn back to void and darkness as it was in the beginning. But his hand so guided all of this evil, all of it, so that he might be preeminent in all things. And that all of this was for him because it was by him and through him. To know the real Jesus is to know not only the creator of all, but to know the sustainer of all. The, the Jesus pen or, or the Jesus nut is, is the pen that holds uh, the rotors or, or the propeller onto the mast body of a helicopter. And this, the long fans that, that keep the propeller in midair are fitted to the main rotor by this pen. Uh, the Jesus pen or nut is a slang term that was first coined by the American army in Vietnam. It's also, the technical term is the MRRN or main uh, rotor retaining nut. I kind of like Jesus pen better. Uh, the origin of the term comes from the idea that if the Jesus nut were to fail in flight, if it were to fail or if it were to fall off, the helicopter would detach from the rotors and the only thing left for the crew in that helicopter to do would be to pray to Jesus because bad thing was about to happen. The same is true for us. The same is true for us in everyday life, that we need Jesus, that as he holds all things together, we need that in our lives. As we think about applying this text to our everyday lives, what this text calls us to is a deep dependence on Christ Jesus, our creator and sustainer. And there are three ways in which I believe that this text calls us to trust in Jesus. First, we must trust Jesus with the seen and the unseen, as it says in verse 16. With the seen and the unseen. We must trust Jesus with the things that we cannot see and the things that we can see. We must trust Jesus with the things we can't do anything about. And, and even the things that we might be able to do something about. We must trust Jesus 
He's the creator and the sustainer. I know my reaction to a lot of things is uh, something goes wrong, I, I kind of feel bad, you know, I start to feel a little sick. I'll, I'll get on Google, and, and Google's got all the answers. And I'll get on Google, and uh, I'll type in, like, my, my symptoms or something, you know. I get on, first thing that pops up, WebMD. WebMD, I'm going to die the next day, okay. Uh, and for some reason, I keep going back to Google, and I keep trusting in the answers that Google's going to provide, and I keep going back. And I keep going back. And I trust Google with the things seen and with the things that are not seen. But how radically different in our society would it be to say, you know, Google might have the answer, but I know the creator and I know the sustainer. I know the real Jesus, the creator and the sustainer of all things, and I am going to trust in him. We must trust Jesus with the seen and with the unseen. The second thing that we can apply this to is we must trust Jesus with rulers and authorities. We must trust Jesus with rulers and authorities. Evil authorities, wicked rulers, those who want to take uh, the life of the unborn and protect the the right to choose, uh, evil rulers who take advantage of those under them, we must trust Jesus to say, Lord, they do evil and wicked things, but Lord, I know that you have established them. Lord, I know that you have created them. Lord, I know that they are from you and through you, and they are created ultimately for you. They are created for your glory, that the the wicked things that they do and the good things that they do, we know that ultimately you will have the glory in all that they do. We must trust Jesus with rulers and authorities, ultimately because Jesus is the one who rules and reigns over them. Just as real as it is that the chair that you are sitting in, Christ Jesus rules over these rulers and authorities, and we must trust him with rulers and authorities. The third thing, in, in all of this, in all of this, we must have a broken will. And what do I mean by this? We must have a broken will. What I mean by this is that this is not a prosperity gospel preaching. This is not that if I just trust in Jesus hard enough, then, then things will go good for me and the things seen and unseen. If I just trust hard enough with, in Jesus then with the wicked and evil authorities, then I'm for sure gonna thrive up under them and I'm gonna be good. And maybe you might be here this morning and you say, Matt, that's good and all, but you just don't know what I'm going through. The bank account's empty. Gas prices are too high. Taxes, I'm about to have to pay taxes. And then on top of that, the authorities who do evil and corrupt things, how can I trust Jesus with the things seen and the things unseen? And by no means am I saying that you have to trust the evil rulers and authorities. But what I am saying is you must trust Christ. And what it looks like to trust Christ, if we say that this is just all theology on paper, then we've forgotten that we must trust Christ. That we must trust Christ who at the cross said, Father, not not my will, but your will be done. And if we say this, that this is just good theology on paper, then we've forgotten the context of our author here. That as Paul pins all these things, as Paul says that Jesus is the creator, as Paul says that Jesus is the sustainer, As Paul says that all of these authorities were created for and through and by Jesus, Paul is also in prison. That Paul was able to write in chains that for, by, and through Jesus, all things were created. And it was under the Roman government who put him in jail that Paul was able to say whether thrones or dominions, all things were created through him. And in these circumstances, Jesus or Paul was able to say all things were created for him. And as Paul writes these things, he understood the real Jesus, not a knockoff Jesus. 
He understood the real Jesus, that he was the image of the Father, that he was the creator of all things, and that he was the sustainer of all things. He knew what it was like to put his trust, to trust the real Jesus with the things unseen and the things seen, with the evil rulers and the evil authorities, whether thrones or dominions. And he learned to pray that the real Jesus, right there in prison, in shackles, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. He had a broken will. And just as his Lord who had, uh, was dying on the cross that he created had done by his dying breath, he said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And so I ask you today, do you know him? Do you know the real Jesus? Not a fake Jesus, not a knockoff Jesus, but do you know the real Jesus? Do you know the real Jesus who is the image of the Father? Do you know the real Jesus who is the creator of all things? And do you know the real Jesus who is the sustainer of all things? I'm going to pray for us here in a moment. Uh, something new that we've been doing that if uh, the word moved you to respond in a way or if you just needed to pray with someone, uh, we have a response team up here at the front in the corners. Uh, if you just need someone to pray for you, that's what they're here for. They're here to serve you in that way. They would love to pray for you. They would love to talk to you about something. They would love to connect with you to be able to just lift you up in prayer or talk with you about something else that that the Lord is working in your heart. But as we think about this, I ask, do you know the real Jesus? Do you know the real Jesus who is the, the, the image of the invisible God? Do you know the real Jesus who is the creator of all things? And do you know the real Jesus who is the sustainer of all things? Would you pray with me now? God, as we look to your word, Lord, I... I pray that we would see Christ, that we would see Christ fully, that he is the firstborn of all creation. He is the preeminent one. May he be preeminent in our lives. Lord, that he is the one whom all things are created. Lord, he created us, and we are to live for his glory. And Lord, he is the one who holds all things together. May we not go another moment to trust in anything else, but may we go every moment fully trusting in Christ Jesus who holds all things together. So as we we go out this morning, may we do that. May we do that. May we trust in Christ Jesus. May we proclaim the gospel to others that say, that says to put your faith and your trust in Christ Jesus. Will we proclaim that to our friends, our coworkers, our families, our neighbors? Will we proclaim that to ultimately trust in Jesus is to trust in the creator of all things, and the sustainer of all things. And we pray this in his name.